Um, that has nothing to do with 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're back in 1 Corinthians. Um, we're kind of in the middle of a long section about food uh, sacrificed to idols. And so if you don't, if you don't kind of have your head around uh, the context here, it's a little hard to understand what Paul's really talking about. Um, it's at least hard, hard to know why he's talking about it. And so before I read the passage, I just want to kind of back up and explain a couple things. This is a letter uh, written by Paul to the church at Corinth. Um, a, a great deal of the letter is responding uh, to conversations that began when he lived with them. He was with them uh, for 18 months, um, a few years uh, prior to this. Um, there's also a good deal of the letter that seems to be responding uh, to some correspondence he's gotten from them, a letter or two that they've written uh, to him, either asking him questions or just telling them um, about what's going on. And so 1 Corinthians sort of takes place in the middle of a larger uh, conversation. Well, uh, back at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul uh, began to address this group that, that Todd last week called uh, the knowers, or maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, the knowers were sort of higher uh, social status people. Uh, they liked their status. They, they liked the privileges uh, that came with it. And they were Christians now. They were new Christians. And so they were starting to wrestle with the implications that that was going to have on their social life. Uh, the reality was, if you couldn't eat food sacrificed to idols, there wasn't much room left for public life. Um, all the food in public places had come from a pagan temple, for the most part. And so what they're doing is they're, they're attempting to make a theological argument for why they can still eat the food and really why they can keep going to the same parties. Uh, they're making a theological argument to get to do what they want to do. Uh, they're using this so-called theological sophistication to justify their desires here. And so in chapter 8, um, before where we are this morning, Paul's contending with them and, and he argues that, you know, even if you do have a right to eat such food, and, and he'll, he'll later question that it, this may not be quite as clear as they think it is, but even if you do have that right, you're, you're not supposed to use your rights at the expense of others for whom Christ died. You need to care more about your brothers and sisters than your own rights. And so when you get to the first part of chapter 9, Paul is writing about some of his own rights. He writes about his, his right to be paid as a pastor and how he hasn't made use of that. He, he forsakes his salary and he tells them he does it for their sake and for the gospel. And so what he, he wants to, them to see there is an example of what Christian freedom looks like. Okay, So that's, that's all background uh, to what we're going to read here uh, in 1 Corinthians 9. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there now. If you don't have it um, with you, we have it printed for you there in the bulletin. This is 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 19 uh, to the end of the chapter, to verse 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray now uh, that you would bless it uh, to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Americans, Americans are people who are very familiar uh, with rights. The first 10 amendments to our constitution called the Bill of Rights and now people talk about a right uh, to work, a right to health care, a right to go to college, And setting aside the question of what rights we have or or ought to have, uh, what we want to ask is, what do we do with our rights? Uh, What are they for? And who are they for? Uh, Martin Luther, a Protestant reformer in the 16th century, uh, he famously said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And what Luther, what Luther captures here is also what I think this passage really teaches. And I want us to see that at the heart of Christian freedom is actually the ability to set aside rights. Now, the first part of chapter nine I already mentioned, Paul uses himself as an example of giving up rights, but in, in this section, he really gets into uh, why it is that he does that. And so, in some ways, Paul is just answering the question why should I set aside my rights? Uh, the first reason he gives is that we're to set aside our rights for the sake of others. Uh, have you ever met uh, an other? If you remember the show uh, Lost, Uh, They meet some people on an island and they call them the others. The reason they're the others is because they don't know anything about them and that's scary. (laughs) It's scary to run into people you don't know anything about. Someone who's not like you, someone who doesn't dress like you or talk like you or listen to what you listen to. Uh, They don't vote like you do or maybe they just don't vote. Um, Well, Paul, Paul may be the freest man Uh, who's ever lived, uh, and he begins this passage saying he used his freedom to make himself a servant to all. And and the language here is actually a bit stronger. It's to all I have enslaved myself. Uh, For Paul, freedom meant he didn't have to live for himself. He could live for others. And he gives three Uh, pretty plain uh, examples here that illustrate what it meant for him to be uh, a servant. He says, uh, to the Jews I became as a Jew to win the Jews. 
Uh, those under the law is, is probably just the same group here. Uh, just to clarify, since Paul was, was ethnically uh, Jewish, but he didn't consider himself religiously bound to this old covenant uh, ceremonies any longer. But what did that really look like in practice? Well, in Acts 16, uh, we know that Paul um, made sure that Timothy was circumcised before joining him to go and minister uh, to Jews. Uh, later, Paul would take part in a, in a Nazarite uh, vow, an, an Old Testament custom. In both cases, uh, he did this to remove any obstacle that he could in order to gain an audience with them. He was willing to accommodate himself for the sake of others. Not, not just willing uh, to set aside his cultural identity, but he's willing to be, he's willing to be misunderstood. Uh, some of you know that in Galatians 2, Paul says that at one point he insisted that Titus not be circumcised in a different scenario. Now I can imagine that some people thought Paul was being inconsistent here, especially Timothy. Um, maybe Paul's making different rules uh, for different people, but, but Paul, he was willing to be misunderstood for the sake of those that he was ministering to. You see, truth, um, there's a sense in which the truth just doesn't really need any help, but it needs an audience. Uh, you can't win people if you don't get close to people and you can't get close to people if you're not willing to be flexible. Paul says he does the same thing with those outside the law. In this case, he just means uh, non-Jews or, or Gentiles. He was able to accommodate himself uh, to them too. And, and we, we should just take note, this was entirely against the grain of all Paul's upbringing. He was raised to be a Pharisee and he was really good at it. Um, but part of loving others is being willing to set aside what's comfortable to you. It's being willing to set aside what feels uh, normal, which can be surprisingly difficult. Um, often what feels normal also we, we switch the category in our mind and it also seems correct. It seems right. Um, so it's hard, but there's something that I think even harder that Paul wants us to do. We need real wisdom from the spirit to know how to do this. Um, but we're to have a willingness also to set aside principled differences. So not just uh, cultural background preferences, but even principled uh, differences so that, so that we don't raise every issue to level 10 all the time. Does that make sense? Jesus, Jesus ate dinner with prostitutes. Certainly he was misunderstood. I don't know if he was uncomfortable. I can imagine some of his close friends were. We, we need to be able to see that God can and often does work radically on people's hearts, but he also often works very slowly on people's habits. And we can't freak out when we're around people that don't watch the same movies that we do. There might even be things that the Bible doesn't really explicitly say, but you've just been a Christian for a long time. You have matured and you have learned that, well, uh, it's just not best for me to be in this situation. 
It's just not best for me to spend my time that way. It's just not best for me to, again, maybe watch that particular movie. And what you need to remember is that it took God 20 years to get you to that point. And if you want to get close to people, you're going to have to be patient with them. Even with real principled differences, we have to be patient. Paul, he does offer a caveat here. Uh, In verse 21, he tells us that he is not outside the law, but he is under, it's literally inside the law of Christ. In other words, Paul's flexibility here is bound uh, by the law of love uh, toward God and neighbor and his own conformity to Christ. And that law might seem less uh, specific, but it is not less demanding, okay? Paul lives with a powerful sense of obligation uh, that is now defined by his relationship uh, to Jesus. His life is patterned after Jesus' life. That's what he wants for the Corinthians, lives of self-giving love. And so his third example uh, sounds like he's just starting to kind of uh, repeat himself here, but we should pay attention uh, to the difference. Paul says that the weak, he became weak. If you notice, he, he became as a Jew and he became as one outside the law. But in verse 22, he actually, he actually became weak. The Corinthians, if you remember, they're, they're all about social status. Uh, they're into climbing the social ladder or at least trying to identify themselves uh, with people that are climbing that ladder. And so the knowers back in chapter 8, that's who Paul's still talking to, they're interested in maintaining their status and going to the same functions, But Paul identifies himself with the weak here, and he doesn't just seem weak. He could have asked for a salary and been treated um, like a traveling, respectable member of the upper class, traveling guru kind of person, but instead he works as a tent maker. Uh, He lives as a tradesman for their sake, and he, he stands alongside those with no social capital. He's willing to share in the condition of those to whom he ministers. He's becoming all things to all people, he says. In all situations, uh, flexibility for the sake of winning others is his rule here. And it's not, it's not just a willingness to adjust. He was looking for ways to adjust. You see the difference? No one's asking him to do it. He's, he's looking for points of contact with people. He's, he's living out the pattern of Jesus' own life, the, the, the very thing we confessed from Philippians 2 earlier. And so we need, we need to remember this. It's, it's, it's simple, but we need to remember God is the one who goes to great lengths to save people. Uh, Jesus adapted and accommodated and was was flexible in, in more ways than we'll ever be able to. He, he took on a human nature. He entered our world. When we let go of our own so-called rights for the sake of others, we're imitating him. Paul's imitating Jesus here. And at the end of verse 19, he says very plainly, that I might win more of them. Uh, this is why he enslaved himself. The salvation of others is what Paul's after. 
And so why, why, I'm asking myself this, but why do we cling to our rights? I mean, is it because we're afraid uh, that we might get taken advantage of in some kind of way? Uh, Maybe afraid that we'll miss out on something, miss out on something that other people have. Uh, Their fun, their uh, me time. Or maybe, uh, maybe sometimes we just, we just care more about ourselves than we do other people. Um, I, I hope that this is obvious to us, but people need to be saved. Uh, people need to confess that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king and savior of the world. And as we learn, as we learn to love what Jesus loves, we ought to want to see people saved. And so there's, there's, a, there's a penetrating question here that we should ask. Um, and again, I, I'm asking myself this, but how far have we really entered into the mission of soul winning? Uh, do we care that people go to hell? Uh, is the tone of our life here as a church at Redeemer that, that, that we just take really good care of ourselves? Uh, would anyone look at our church or they would they look at you and think, you know, that is a servant-shaped life? And would you be willing to serve all people that you might save some. And the question here is, it's not, it's not quite so much, well, do you want some to be saved, but is your life being conformed to the compassion of Jesus? Uh, this, is, this is not a project uh, for Paul. This is not an evangel- evangelistic uh, activity or, or weekend. It's not even a specific missionary strategy. As one of my professors used to say, uh, evangelism is a life lived. It's an overflow of the heart. And when we're ready to set aside our own rights for the sake of winning souls, Paul says we share in the gospel. We take part in it together. When we let go of things that, that truly are our own, but we can see that there's something greater when we don't cling to our rights, when we choose love over self-protection. And so one question, one question you might have or have had is, well, how much flexibility? <laughs> how, do you know, uh, how do you know when you're compromising? Well, for Paul, it meant he had to keep watch over his own soul first because you never care more about other souls than you do for your own. This is why we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so another question is, well, what difference does Jesus make to you? If you don't know what difference he makes, he's not gonna make a difference to anyone else. And so we set aside rights for the sake of others, but, but really, I think what he gets into in this last section, it's sort of a paradox, is we set aside our rights for our own sake. 
He, he brings up this uh, very familiar scene, uh, this athletic uh, metaphor, and really he invites us to compare the Christian life uh, to an athletic contest here. Why, why do athletes enter contests? Well, nobody trains their whole life just to say they made it to the race, right? You run to win. And don't, don't get hung up on the fact that there's only one winner. Um, the, the New Testament's super clear uh, that there's more than one person saved in the end. In 2 Timothy, Paul says there's a crown laid up for all who look forward to Christ's return. His point here is about keeping the goal in mind, about letting that goal affect how you run uh, right now. Um, athletes surrender lesser goods for a greater goal. I don't, I don't think I really need to explain this. You all understand how it works. Uh, but it takes self-control to prioritize goods, okay? It takes self-control not to give in uh, to your immediate desires and the things that are right in front of you. And it's a fruit of the spirit. It's not a personality trait like being tall. It's something every Christian has to learn to cultivate by faith and dependence on the spirit. Now, for an elite athlete, there's no area of life that is untouched by this self-control. Hey, you wanna go out tonight? No, I've got to go run in the morning. You want to get some ice cream? No, I've got to take care of my body. You want to? No. Um, in college sports, uh, there are limits on practice time. I don't, I don't know if I have this number right, but I believe with football, you're only allowed to practice 20 hours a week. And so what happens is teams have, quote unquote, voluntary workouts, they have voluntary time in the weight room and voluntary time watching film. And here's the thing. You don't want to coach a guy who's always telling you about the 20-hour rule. You want to coach a guy who's looking for more ways to win. Great athletes are not angling for what they're allowed to do. They're looking for things to give up. What else can I sacrifice to get to the goal? And all they get is a wreath. Uh, literally, leaves that wilt. Uh, maybe today you might get a gold medal or an endorsement deal. But it's, it's super obvious. Paul says, you know, our prize is, is better than their prize. It's, it's far greater what we, re we receive. First Peter 5 says, an unfading crown of glory like nothing this life can offer. Our prize is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, and to have unbroken fellowship with the Father through the Son. And so, of course, we ought to make it our aim to please him. That's where we're headed if an athlete can exercise self-control, well, Paul says, well, of course, we can too. And so he is, he's focused. He doesn't shadow box. He doesn't miss. He swings to hit the target. And so in verse 27, Paul uses that same word that he used in verse 19. It's literally Paul enslaves his body. That is, 
His day-to-day existence is one of self-discipline. He does not serve his body. He is not driven by his immediate desires. He's not driven by hunger or wanting to rest or being liked or the fear of missing out. And he's not just talking about the battle with sin here. Of, of, Of course, that's in view. Paul is ready to get rid of anything, to shed any hindrance, any extra weight, sinful or not, that might get in the way of him pursuing his goal. He wants to be streamlined. And so the desire for comfort is not a wrong desire, but Paul says, but it can wait. Well, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) That sounds really uh, overwhelming, perhaps, but Paul understood the prize. He understood the prize. The church has always been full of half-hearted Christians. I know you know that. I know that. But are you a half-hearted Christian? This is not an isolated passage either. This is the way the New Testament talks. God is after people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says, who seek after glory and honor and immortality, people who strive to enter his rest, people who will lose their life so that they might save it. Christians are to learn to give themselves away. This is what God does. That's what he wants us to do. Do not hold on to short-term rights and ignore the long-term priority of your own soul. What I'm entitled to is just a bad way to live. And the thing is, at some point, at some point, that thing that you think you're entitled to, that right that you are holding on to, is going to get denied. It's going to get taken away, and if if all you were really after was exercising your rights, you're going to be crushed. If you're not focused on the proper ends of your own soul, you're not going to make it. Uh, Your rights, uh, legitimate ones, real ones, they can get in the way if you're not keeping your eye on the prize. And so what's this business about being disqualified here at the end? Um, Well, Paul wants to say it's at least theoretically possible that he could be disqualified, and he's certainly implying that it's possible that the Corinthians might be disqualified. It means something like uh, proven faults or shown to be counterfeit. In other words, if he were not to discipline himself, If he were not to set aside his own rights for for the sake of others and run after the prize, he he could just end up proving that he wasn't really in the race at all. Your own lack of seriousness may be evidence that you're not going to make it. And it's not that we're to run while asking ourselves, well, am I going to be saved in the end? But we run like people who really want what's offered to the winner. To have a share in the gospel is not to 
declare your freedom to do as you please. It's to exercise your rights, not in order to enjoy yourself more, but to connect your salvation with this radical call to service and allegiance to God. It's to see it's to see that God is both your father and your king. That his, his rule over you only heightens your appreciation for his love and his mercy toward you. And so Paul's willing to lay down his rights here because he wants, he wants to hear well done. I'm going to let Todd untangle what Todd means by disqualified next week. Um, but let me leave you with this. Paul, Paul is free. He knows who he is in Jesus. He's not anxious about failure, but he is eager. He's eager for victory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us eager. We pray that your spirit would would work in us so that we would be people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, not for its own sake, but because we love you, because we long to see you, we long uh, to be with you, and we pray that as our love for you grows, that it would overflow into love for others, to love for our neighbors, to love for the lost sheep uh, here in Athens and around the world. God, teach us to give ourselves away and above all, teach us uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus. We ask it in his name, amen.